Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4 and 19 through 26. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 1-11 through 11. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned in the, on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand out, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Good morning and welcome to the first day of the fourth week of Advent, or Advent 4-1 as I've been calling it. 
Uh, this morning's readings come to us from Psalm 89, 2 Samuel 6, and Hebrews 1. And uh, the thing that stands out to me, um, the, the ark is being brought to Jerusalem. Uh, and for years and for most of my even adult life, I thought that that was a, that was a great thing, right? Awesome, going to the holy city. But there's two sides to this story. There always are, right? Um, the more and more I dive into the Bible, the more I realize that God does good with bad things and does bad things with good things or bad. Anyway, so what's not being said is that from the time of the, that the Israelites entered the promised land, the Ark of the, of the Covenant of God had been resting at a city named Shiloh. And Shiloh is uh, just kind of a, a way station now. It's not really thought of very much. Maybe you've heard of it. But this is where they, the tabernacle of God, where the high priest has performed his rites since they had entered the Holy Land, which would have been, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 generations. Um, and throughout the time of Judges, throughout the time of the unified kingdom, when Saul was king and up until this point, it had done just fine as a tent in Shiloh. Uh, and I say that and it's a duality because it is being brought to Jerusalem where David will ask and then have his son build a big, fancy, ornate temple for God. God doesn't ask for this. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't ask for a temple. God is just fine living in his hooch off in the wilderness. I know that may be, like, it seems normal, right? But, like, think of the the economical or the class distinctions there. Shiloh is close to the border. It's north of Jerusalem by, I want to say, a day's walk. But the important thing is it's just this temple or this tabernacle, right? The same, you know, tent that was designed, uh, you know, or built on God's design by spirit-filled craftsmen and artisans. And God, God has been fine there. And the other thing about Shiloh is I think it's not in one of the kind of favored tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, or Judah, the royal line. Um, and so leaving this humble origin to become this, you know, contested, wealthy kind of status of power and political power, now that they're a unified kingdom, just like the rest of the nations, just like they asked, they're going to adapt God's dwelling place to suit their own notions, their own desires to be like everybody else. Now, the temple is great, don't get me wrong, but God didn't ask for it, and God was just fine living in a tent in the desert. Um, this will lead to um, underestimated or understated um, economic and class divisions within the tribes of Israel. David will bring it to his tribal allotment, or close to his tribal allotment. It's in Benjamin, I think, not Judah. But he's consolidating power. Not necessarily in a bad way, but that is the, the effect, right? It's closer to his tribal land down in the south in Judah. Um, you know, Zion is really important, um, but God didn't ask for this. And the tribes to the north... Shiloh isn't that much farther from the northern tribes, but it is farther, right? It's moving south. And to build 
the temple, David's son Solomon will use forced labor. He'll use imported goods. He will rely on foreign resources. And that kind of sullies the waters a bit. Because remember, the tabernacle was built by the same gold that they plundered from the Egyptians. The, the vessels, the, the poles, the, the fabric, all of that stuff came out of Egypt with them. The menorah, which represented the tree of life, the, the table for the showbread, all of that stuff. It's going to be taken down and moved to the, the leadery leaders who lead home, right? Uh, and so the south, as Solomon uses this labor, uh, he imposes a tax on Israel, and that further exacerbate, exacerbates the differential between the rich and powerful southern tribes and the more modest and uh, rural and agrarian tribes to the north. If you ever wonder why the tribes divided, one of the um, contributing factors was the the distinction, the divide, the, the gap between rich and poor that was created or is beginning to be created at this moment when David takes the ark and moves it to closer to the to his own his own clan. It becomes harder to share, you know, it becomes harder for the pilgrimage festivals of Sukkot, of Yom Kippur. You know, now all the northern tribes have to walk farther. And there's more northern tribes than there are southern t- tribes. So I can hear in this action the discontent of those poor who are left out, right? And so this is a good thing, but it has consequences. Uh, and not consequences that they that couldn't have been, you know, anticipated. Um, and, uh, I mean, uh, a very, uh, you know, kind of similar thing happens when they are exiled, when the tribes are finally exiled, you know, in total, the northern tribes disappear, quote-unquote, or are lost. Um, and then the cool kids in Jerusalem are carted off to Babylon, leaving the poor, you know, uninfluential uh, farmers and, you know, mid-level Israelites back in Jerusalem, and they become the Samaritans. The Samaritans have an unbroken relationship with the land. They have their own Pentateuch. They have their own, you know, scriptures, because when the the influential, wealthy, affluent Israelites uh, are taken off into Babylon, they go through this renaissance, and they, you know, have all these incredible literary and poetic and, you know, prophetic activity that comes out of that, but the Samaritans, who wanted nothing but to continue to exist in relationship with God and with the land, when those Babylonian exiles return, all of a sudden they re- regain power with the help of Cyrus, the Persian. And so in all these good things, there can be bad effects, and we have to take, you know, we have to take stock of them. We have to recognize how even our best intentions, our best ideas, have unintended costs and consequences. Um, this isn't so much this morning about you know soldier and civilian, but it is about you know enlisted versus commission. It is about who has control and power and influence and who doesn't, and what happens when those who have power use power without thinking about it, without uh, you know tallying the costs and involving those who might lose something from their decisions. Um, that to me is not it's not necessarily arrogance, but I think there's a bit of arrogance there in thinking that you know 
I'm a great person. I, you know, I'll make a, a level-headed decision. When I went to Iraq, I thought like, you know, I could, I'll be fine. This is fine. I'm okay. But the more time I spent there, the more I realized how, you know, deep my own biases were hidden. Um, you know, I saw all these brown bodies, you know, in 13 months in Iraq, but I wasn't truly affected until I saw another white-skinned American male. Um, and so we have to be careful thinking very highly of ourselves, or rather, we have to be careful not thinking how corrupt we might be, even though we intend and are vigilant uh, in, in maintaining our moral character. We, we slip up. We may make decisions that are that we think are great and look great on paper, but might hurt others um, and might come back to haunt us. You know, I think David moving the ark was was a God thing, but just because it was a God thing doesn't mean that people aren't going to get left behind and hurt. Um, and so we have to do this careful social, scriptural, exegetical work to understand truly what's, what God is doing and what God knows is being done. Um, and that we may not quite foresee in the moment. A prayer for the poor and neglected from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful God, we remember before you all poor and neglected persons whom it would be easy for us to forget. The homeless and the destitute, the old and the sick, and all who have none to care for them. Help us to heal those who are broken in body or spirit and to turn their sorrow into joy. Grant this, Father, for the love of your Son, who for our sake became poor, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling in to First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.